1: Who is this Jesus? He's heir of all things in Hebrews 1. All the resources of heaven are yours. He's the almighty creator in Hebrews 1. He's named every star. He's not forgotten your name. He knows your joys and your sorrows. He knows your mountain peaks and your valleys. He knows when you rejoice. And he knows when tears flow from your eyes. He knows... When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He is the living Creator.
0: That's Pastor Mark Finley, and this is Hope Lives 365. At Hope Lives 365, we believe God answers prayer. Keep in mind this telephone number throughout today's broadcast, 888-244-HOPE. Here is Pastor Mark Finley with today's Hope Lives 365.
1: A young woman came up to me, probably in her late teens, early 20s, and she was obviously not dressed in what one would consider to be church dress at all, and she reached over and took my hand, and she said, Pastor, I came to this meeting today empty. You see, the man on the platform is my father, and he's an elder of the church, but I wanted nothing to do with Christianity, and I left home began living with my boyfriend, got involved in the party life in Lisbon, Portugal, here, and drinking a lot, and just turned my back on everything that I was brought up on. But there was something that you said this morning that touched my heart. When I began to sense that I hadn't gone too far from Jesus, that his love was there for me, that his pardon was there for me, that his power was there for me to change my life. There was a ray of hope that touched my heart. I pray tonight that as we open the word of God and study the book of Hebrews, that a ray of hope would touch somebody's heart here tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the Christ of hope. You are the Christ that brings light to our darkness, that waters the barrenness of our souls, that leads us through the desert and through the darkness. You are the Christ that perfumes our life like the lily of the valley. You are the Christ like the north star that gives us direction. You are the Christ like the birds that sing sweet songs in our ears and give us new hope. So as we open your word tonight, come and speak to us and warm our hearts, I pray thee in Christ's name. Amen. A few weeks ago, I was sitting on the Mount of Olives overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And there the golden dome temple was glittering in all of its splendor and magnificence. The dome of the rock, that Muslim temple. It dominates the landscape. It was built in the 7th century AD. It's the holiest site in the Islamic world after Mecca and Medina. It was built on the exact site of the former Jewish temple. Now, Jerusalem... In particular, and that Muslim Golden Dome Temple has captured the attention of the world. In a sense, all eyes are on Jerusalem today, and all eyes are on that temple. Now, Jewish eyes are on the temple. You see, the Muslim temple, the Dome of the Rock, is built on the exact site of previously Solomon's Temple and Later, the temple that Herod built. There is a movement in Israel to rebuild the temple, the third temple. Solomon built the first temple. It was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar's armies. Zerubbabel built the second temple. And although it was enlarged by Herod, it was destroyed by Titus in AD 70. Now, here's what one leading Jewish rabbi and scholar says about Rebuilding the Jewish temple on that temple mount where the Muslim Golden Dome temple stands today. This is what this Jewish rabbi says. He says, while it's true that our generation has much to be grateful for and that our return to Israel is nothing short of miraculous, the Golden Dome sitting atop temple mount provides a constant reminder that the Torah cannot be fulfilled perfectly and Jerusalem cannot be expressed fully until the third temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem. Now there was a poll taken and it was published in one of the leading Israeli newspapers called Haratz and they said that a third of the Israelis believe that Israel should erect a temple on Temple Mount. Israel's housing minister, his name is Uri Ariel, Referred to the synagogues that have been built in Israel, and he said, We need to build a real temple on Temple Mount. You may not be aware of it, but there are Jewish groups training young people in the practices of the Jewish priesthood. They're preparing the vestments, they've studied the Old Testament, and they are actually preparing right now the furniture for the third temple to be built on Temple Mount to the exact Dimensions of the previous temple, of Solomon's temple, that was built there some time ago. All eyes are on the temple. Jewish eyes are on the temple. Now you can imagine that Muslim eyes are on that temple as well. Most Muslims view the movement for building the third temple on Temple Mount as an affront to Islam. They see the presence of the Alask Mosque, the Dome of the Rock. And they are looking at that as one of the holiest sites of all Islam. And today the area is regarded by the majority of Muslims as the third holiest site in all of Islam. They believe that it was here that Abraham offered up Ishmael. See, our Muslim friends don't believe that Isaac was the child of promise. They believe that Ishmael was the child of promise. And they believe that it was here that Mohammed on Temple Mount ascended into heaven to have his vision of the Quran. Furthermore the mosque and the shrine on Temple Mount for them are the most holiest places of all Islam after of course Mecca and Medina. Now the Muslims are resolute in calling for a recognition of their exclusive rights to this Temple Mount site and any attempts of the Jews to build a new temple on the very site of the Dome of the Rock, the Muslim temple. I mean, they've always drawn vicious response from the Muslims. Muslims' eyes are on the temple, and they're deeply concerned about any discussion that the Jews have about rebuilding the temple. Now, if you've read any of the evangelical literature that is so prevalent today, you know that Christian eyes are on Temple Mount as well. Now, according to some Christian writers, the third temple is going to be rebuilt. When Antichrist, according to them, is often identified with this political leader of some transnational alliance or some European Union or the United Nations, according to this view of prophecy, the Antichrist will lead out in a rebuilt temple on Temple Mount. He'll use that as a venue for proclaiming himself as God and the long-awaited the Messiah. He will demand worship from humanity. Now, what does prophecy really say about the rebuilding of the temple on Temple Mount? First, prophecy does not declare that a temple will or will not be rebuilt. You don't find that in any of the prophecies of Daniel or Revelation. But this you do find in the teachings of Jesus. The Jewish temple no longer has any significance In Bible prophecy, take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 23, verse 37 and 38. Could it be that the eyes of the religious world are looking at the wrong temple? Could it be that Jewish eyes and Muslim eyes and Christian eyes are looking at the wrong temple? Matthew, the 23rd chapter. And we're looking there at verse. 37 and 38. Jesus makes this heartfelt appeal to his people. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37 and 38. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing See your house, your temple is left unto you desolate. When the Jewish nation and the Jewish priests rejected the Messiah, the Shekinah glory of God left that temple. The veil in the temple was rent in two. And Jesus said, your house is left unto you desolate. There is another temple... That Jesus has his end time people focus their eyes upon. It's not a temple on earth. It's not the Jewish temple. It's not a rebuilt temple on Temple Mount. It is a glorious sanctuary in heaven. And Jesus invites us to fix our eyes there. Take your Bible please. And turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews the 8th chapter. In the first verse, Hebrews chapter 8. Our eyes are fixed not on an earthly temple. Our eyes are fixed on a glorious temple in heaven. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 and verse 2. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have a high priest who is seated on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Notice the scripture says of the true tabernacle. The word in the original language for true there is aletheos. It means true in opposition to shadowy, false, or unreal.
0: Pastor Mark Finley will continue with more in just a moment. Stay tuned. You can grow in your knowledge of God's Word by enrolling in online courses by Pastor Mark Finley. Go to hopelives365biblestudy.com. That's hopelives365biblestudy.com. When you go there, you will find wonderful courses such as Bible Prophecy, Discipleship, Leadership, or Improving Your Health. These courses are especially designed to help you discover deeper insights into the Bible. Go to hope lives 365 biblestudycom That's hope lives 365 biblestudycom Or call right now to register, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. 888-244-HOPE. Here now, once again, Pastor Mark Finley. Aletheos. It means true
1: in opposition to shadowy, false, or unreal. It means true in the sense of authentic. Now sometimes people have said, is there really a true sanctuary in heaven? The Bible says that there is. It says that Jesus is a minister of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. So this sanctuary in heaven is, of course, vast. It's not the same dimensions of the earthly sanctuary. The earthly sanctuary, according to Exodus 25, verse 8, was a miniature, a scale model of the great original. But here in heaven's sanctuary, Jesus invites us to view. Our eyes are not fixed on an earthly temple, an earthly sanctuary, an earthly priesthood. They're fixed on Jesus, our great high priest, and his ministry in the heavenly sanctuary. And it's this high priestly ministry of Jesus that I want to spend some time studying with you about this evening. There's an entire New Testament book dedicated to clearly explaining Christ's ministry in the heavenly sanctuary. Now, understanding receiving the benefits that Christ offers through his ministry in the sanctuary makes an enormous difference in our lives. It makes a difference on whether we're consumed with guilt or rejoicing in grace. It makes a difference whether we're struggling with frustrated defeat or rejoicing in victory. It makes a difference whether we're filled with fear and anxiety about the future or rejoicing in the promises of God, whether we're bowed down with despair or buoyed up with hope. Now, the theme of the book of Hebrews is this. Jesus is better. The temple in heaven is better than the earthly temple. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross is better than animal sacrifices. The priestly ministry of Jesus is better than the ministry of earthly priests. So the theme of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. Now, the key word in Hebrews, there's one key word in the book of Hebrews, That word is access. Through the life and death and resurrection of Christ, and the ministry of Christ, we have access to his all-encompassing pardon. We have access to his eternal power. We have access to his all-embracing presence. We have access to his everlasting promises. Now let's study these aspects together of Christ's high priestly ministry. His all-encompassing pardon. His eternal power. His all-embracing presence and His everlasting promises. We begin with Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews the fourth chapter. And we look there at Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. Tonight somebody is going to see Jesus in a fresh light. Somebody is going to get a new view of Jesus. And seeing Jesus, you can never be the same again. Looking into the face of Jesus, your face shines with the glory of God. Looking into the face of Jesus, there's a new sparkle in your eyes. There's a new joy in your heart. There's a new hope in your soul. There's a new inspiration in your spirit. The all-embracing Christ. The all-encompassing pardon. Hebrews, the fourth chapter starting with the 14th verse. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. Do we have a high priest today? Are our eyes fixed on a high priest today? They are not fixed on an earthly temple. They are fixed on a heavenly temple. They are not fixed on an earthly priesthood. They are fixed on a heavenly priesthood. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast. The word there, hold fast, means let us seize. Let us grasp. Let us never give up. We never give up our faith. Why not? Because our eyes are fixed. On a high priest that is passed into the heavens for us. Jesus, the divine son of God. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast. Let us seize. Let us grasp our profession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Now, let's pause there for a moment. The scripture says Jesus was in all points, not in some points, not in a few points, all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Now, that seems a little confusing at first look. How could Jesus be tempted in all points like we are? For example, Jesus was never a woman who had a husband that ran off with his secretary and left her lonely and broken and bruised and crushed out with despair. How could Jesus ever understand what a woman goes through as she cries herself to sleep at night when he never was a woman and never went through a divorce? Or how could Jesus understand the raging crying of a heroin addict who needs a fix every nerve and tissue of their body are crying out for another fix of heroin if jesus never took heroin or how could jesus understand what it's like to be racked with pain in your body because you have gone through a terrible accident And you are now a paraplegic and you suffer from back pain for the rest of your life. How does Jesus understand those things? Let me probe the depths of it this way. Let's first take the woman that went through the trauma of a divorce. The trauma of a divorce is rejection. Jesus went through rejection by those who were closest to him. Judas, one of his disciples, openly betrayed him. Peter denied him. So when Jesus went through the rejection by Judas, the deeper your capacity to love, the greater your ability to hurt. And because Jesus had such great capacity to love, the betrayal by Judas and the denial by Peter hurt him more than any denial or betrayal that a woman will ever go through. What about the heroin addict? When Christ fasted in the wilderness for 40 days. His body cried out with urgings, with promptings greater than any heroin addict. When Jesus suffered the pain on the cross, the physical agony they went through on the cross was greater than any physical agony that we ever go through. So Jesus went through mental agony, emotional agony, physical agony, spiritual agony on the cross of Calvary. And on the cross of Calvary, all the powers of hell in far greater measure and far broader dimensions than anything you and I could dream upon. A greater emotional trauma, a greater physical trauma, a greater mental trauma, a greater spiritual trauma. So indeed, in all points like we are, There is nothing that you can ever go through that Jesus has not already gone through. The Bible says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but with all points as we are, yet without sin. Since Jesus, the Son of God, became the Son of Man, He understands us better than we understand ourselves. He has come near He identifies with our needs. He identifies with our weakness. We serve a God who is not far away. We serve a Christ who has come near. He walked the dusty streets of Galilee. He walked the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to have no place to lay his head. He knows what it's like to be ridiculed and mocked and betrayed. He knows what it's like to physically suffer. In one of his books, John Foster tells the story of coming home one day in the 1930s. And he saw his daughter, who was in her early 30s, sitting before the radio, just bawling her eyes out. She was crying and crying. He couldn't understand it. He asked her why she was crying so uncontrollably. And he discovered that a news bulletin had just come across the radio wire's. That Japanese tanks had entered the city of Canton in China. Now, to most people, hearing that announcement wouldn't have made much difference at all. Why then was John Foster's daughter crying her eyes out with tears? Because she was born in Canton. She went to school in Canton. To her, Canton meant home, it meant a school, a nurse friends, a well-loved place. The difference is this. She had been there. When you've been there, it makes all the difference. And there is no part of human experience that Jesus cannot say to you, I have been there. When we have a sad and sorry story to tell, when life has drenched us with tears, when guilt weighs us down, when condemnation enshrouds our hearts in darkness, we go to a Christ that has been there, one that's faced temptations in common with all humanity, one who bore all of our guilt in condemnation on the cross, one who understands and sympathizes all of our needs. Go back. Go back to Hebrews chapter 4. Notice the text, we have a high priest who's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Notice the text, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast, let us seize our confession. We do not have a high priest, verse 15, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Do you feel weak tonight? Jesus is strong. Do you feel frail tonight? Jesus is almighty. Do you feel powerless tonight? Jesus is all-powerful. Notice, he can sympathize with our weakness. In all points, he was tempted like we are. Let us therefore. What is the therefore therefore? Let us therefore. What is the therefore therefore? It connects everything that's come before. It connects us with the fact that Jesus is our high priest. Let us therefore come boldly, that boldly means confidently, to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you have a time of need tonight? Somebody here have a time of need tonight? Raise your hand. You have a time of need. The scripture says, let us therefore come confidently to the throne of what? Grace. The throne of glory is the throne of grace.
0: Thanks for listening today to Hope Lives 365 with Pastor Mark Finley. Have you ever wondered what happens five minutes after death? Do you long for the assurance of eternal life? Is there a longing in your heart for something beyond this life? Dark Tunnels and Bright Lights by Mark Finley is the message of hope you need. This book presents the real truth about life after death and is more amazing than you can imagine. Call for your copy today. Here's the information you need. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Your donations help us keep this ministry on the air. Thank you for your support. Call 888 244 HOPE. That's 888 244 4673 or visit Lives 365com Thanks for listening today to Hope Lives 365.